enriching your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey, it's Amy Newmark and it's Friend Friday on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. I'm really excited because today we're talking to Donnie Bota. I'm not pronouncing that properly, but it's Afrikaans, spelled B-O-T-H-A. And he is a really fascinating guy who wrote a story for our new book about how age is just a number. And he introduced me and most of our readers to a totally new sport, which is called land paddling. So, Donnie, welcome to the podcast. Amy, thank you very much for having me. Well, it's our privilege. Thank you for doing this. You're a busy guy because you are an author and a physician. Donnie was actually born in Zambia, and he completed his education and his medical and anesthesiology training in South Africa. And then he moved to Canada in 1998 with his young family and has learned to love cold and snow because he lives in Manitoba. And 22 long, harsh Manitoban winters later, he really appreciates those summers that they have. They're short, but they're intense. He's very much into outdoor sports, which is what he wrote about in Chicken Soup for the Soul. Age is just a number. And on top of being a doctor, he is a writer who has published three novels already and a poetry collection and also a lot of articles and writing about positive aging. So Donnie, before we get into land paddling, which is fascinating, Let's just talk about the fact that you grew up in Zambia, were educated in South Africa, then you moved to Canada. How did that all come about? And what was it like moving from the southernmost part of the African continent to now being in a pretty far north part of the North American continent? I mean, yes. My parents were missionaries and they worked for 10, 15 years, if not more, in Zambia. I have four siblings, and we were all born in Zambia. And it was quite interesting growing up there, where it's a, a true story during my grade one and grade two years, whilst I attended a boarding school in Zambia, many evenings or nights, we could literally watch the hyenas from our boarding school bedroom windows, which sounds horrific, but that you sort of grew used to that. The independence, 1963, 1964, which I used as a backdrop for my first novel, all took place around us with all the turmoil and political unrest and everything, but we were so little, it, it didn't really impact us. And so one grew up there in Zambia, getting used to 112 degrees. Then I moved to South Africa, where I lived for 30 plus years, where on the high felt it's just lovely, almost eternal summer with winter being a little bit chilly because the houses aren't heated, because, and winter is last only one or two months. And then I moved to Canada, where I did fall in love with snow, but after 22 long winters, it's still difficult to wrap your head around it, that how can one jump from 36 plus Celsius in summer and then plummet within, sometimes within one to two weeks, you plummet to minus 30 Celsius again, and which is still hard to get used to, one literally make peace with it. Initially, when I arrived in Canada, I couldn't fathom why was there this yearning amongst the Manitobans, especially for summer. Until a few years ago, I, I finally got it, that this past summer, it was literally barely four months, and now we're heading 
We're getting a few days reprieve now, but this I still have snow here on my front garden. Yeah, so it was quite in three distinct different places, not only climate-wise, every people-wise, people, circumstances, culture, everything. So it's quite something getting used to, and I joke about it because I apparently, according to the Canadians, I still speak with a distinct accent, although I'm trying to do my best to learn Canadian. It's apparently a language that's very close to English. You're in Canada now, but it's in Canada that you wrote these novels that were really based on your childhood experience in Zambia. So that's really interesting because was writing the novels about those years in Zambia part of you reliving your childhood, developing an understanding of the events that were surrounding you during your innocent childhood years when you, you when the most dangerous thing you knew of was the hyenas outside. It's interesting how the writing came about. It was only 10 years ago, about 10 years ago, that one day after a long discussion with one of my colleagues and I, unburdened about all the stress and drama about of medicine and anesthesia, he looked at me and said, go write a book. I first laughed at his comment and I brushed it off. The seed was planted and about a few weeks later, I started writing. My first manuscript hasn't seen the light of day. I'm now... 10 years later, rewriting it without making use of it. But after that, I started writing the, the first novel, Be Silent, which is, yes, which is based about our growing up years in, in Zambia, which I used it as a, as a backdrop, the actual mission station which, where I spent my last two years there in grade one and grade two. I literally used that as the base for where most of the story takes place. It's interesting how we often take many years to I think digest certain things, especially the more unpleasant things, and also to find perspective in it. For instance, we'll probably touch on it later, but at, at present I'm halfway through writing a memoir, which I started writing when, when the COVID struck us in March, and many of us were prevented from working for a couple of weeks. So I dived into that, where it being several decades later, but it's interesting I will now look with fresh and new eyes and with a fresh and new perspective. So Be Silent, the first novel then was, it's just, it's interesting how stories come to you. Um, but it slowly materialized after I wrote the first manuscript, which I just left on the back burner. And then I started, I started with blogging in the same year, earlier that same year, it was the end of 2016 that Be Silent finally was finished. But it took several years, especially since it was the first one. And then combining it and balancing it with, Working 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week in, in, in the hospitals was, well, it's a bit of a balancing act with the family. So it's interesting how many of these stories, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, often take a while to digest and then come out as in the form of either fiction or nonfiction and even poetry. I agree. I mean, when you sit down and you write about this stuff, it's like you're teaching yourself, you're interpreting it for yourself, you are digesting it again and learning about your past and kind of creating the right perspective for yourself. And it's very educational, isn't it, to write about your own life and the circumstances in which you grew up. I bet you feel a lot more grounded now having written about your past, whether you did it in fiction or nonfiction. Absolutely. Well, it's also, there are many reasons why, why one does it. So often people ask, while writers or just readers, 
why do you write? It's a compulsion, and, and I'm also still curious why I only started, I was you know, close to 52 when I started. It's interesting why, it only, why I only started so late, but I'm, not un- I'm quite aware I'm not unique at all. And I'm a slowly also giving more time and consideration for nonfiction and also publishing nonfiction books, but to leave not only a legacy, but also hopefully to help my, my children and grandchildren and even siblings, because many of them still grapple with why did we leave? And this is, for instance, with the memoir that I'm now writing. It's only touching on the about 900 days that I spent in the military. We had compulsory military service from the 60s, 70s through 80s in South Africa, which was later abolished. But they still grapple with why did we leave because some of them still have difficulty with that. So it's many of these things where in an attempt for oneself to find clarity, but also in the hope that other people will also enjoy it, but also find some enlightenment. Well, many of my stories, it's interesting, I found even in your well, in your book, Simply Happy, is what I found interesting was there was a parallel, which a theme that ran through my three novels, and that one of the main topics that you discuss in your book is forgiveness. And it was never intentional that this would be a theme in my novels, but just in hindsight, it was during a, a workshop where one went deep into the theme of, of, a, of a story, of a fictional story. One, and then going back and analyzing your own stories that you realize, oh, but there is this line of forgiveness that runs through it, probably because, well, it's something that one grew up with, noticing the, the lack of it and then the devastation in, well, in Zambia and South Africa and even now, well, and even here in Canada and in the U.S., it's one is aware and surrounded by it, the lack and importance of forgiveness. I totally agree with you. I, I feel like forgiveness is absolutely mandatory. If you haven't mastered how to use forgiveness, I don't see how you can be truly happy. And you have to learn how to put the past in the past and not let it keep bothering you. You know, I read the definition of forgiveness a couple of years ago, and I was really surprised because I always thought forgiveness meant that you were telling somebody that what they did wasn't really so bad. But it turns out the actual definition of forgiveness is just that you make a conscious decision that no matter how bad something was, that you won't keep re-experiencing the same negative emotions you felt the first time it happened. So you can know intellectually, yes, that terrible thing happened, but I will no longer let it cause me to feel those same feelings over and over again. And that's what forgiveness really is. It's making a conscious decision to move on emotionally, even though you're not saying that that bad thing didn't happen or that that bad thing wasn't really so terrible. You're not saying to somebody, I excuse your behavior. You're just saying, I'm not going to let that bother me anymore and cause that negative reaction in me anymore. So we're going to come back and talk about land paddling and the whole issue of exercise and how much it's helping us get through the pandemic and feel better. So we're going to be right back with Donnie Bota and we're going to talk about a really fun way to get fit and to get that necessary exercise. We're back with Donnie Bota and now we're going to talk about a really fun way to get fit and the whole issue of how much exercise is helping us get through the pandemic in decent mental condition. So, Donnie, let's talk about land paddling because I'd never heard of it until I read your 
fascinating story for Chicken Soup for the Soul, age is just a number. Myself included, land paddling was something never heard of before. In It was about May or June of 2017, I was cycling down one of our beautiful cycling paths and along from the front approached this gentleman. It, it really looked as if he was floating. You notice me, you become aware of several things. He was standing upright on a device, propelling himself forward with a strange long stick or pole, which I've never seen before. I mean, you immediately think, well, that's somewhat similar to a subboard, a stand-up paddleboard on water, but I mean, this, we are here on, on Terra Firma. And so he passed me, and quite intrigued, I turned around and followed him and started a conversation with him whilst he propelled himself forward. And I asked him, well, and later on he, he pulled off and we discussed it. It's a, this particular board deck, they come in different variations, but this specific one is 59 inches, so five foot long, 14 inches wide. So think of a skateboard, but just over, over, oversized. So I call it skateboard on steroids with four skateboard wheels, but everything is just larger. The pole is six foot tall. This particular one is made from woven bamboo with a handle at the top, similar to a canoe paddle handle. And right at the bottom, it has a six inch in diameter rubber tip. Think of a tiny, tiny little half wheel, but it's, it's just a block at the bottom. So you have, so you stand more towards the back half of this board and then you propel, you start, you propel yourself. You keep to one side, it's just easier. You literally need to push yourself. You start in the uh, middle of the board and do it backwards. And then you, you gain momentum. One can reach up to about, on a level surface, about 20 kilometers an hour. Downhill, you could probably go faster. But the dilemma with this thing is it doesn't have brakes. And it's not like a skateboard where you can just step back down and brake yourself that way. So that's a bit tricky. My mental image of it is it's like paddle boarding. I've seen people paddle boarding, you know, in the ocean. So this is like paddle boarding on land, but how do you stop it and how do you steer it? You face the same way as, as the length of the board, your, but your feet are sideways, almost 90 degrees perpendicular. So they sideways and by leaning towards your toes or your heels, you will, you will go turn either left or right. The, 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 the wheels are almost like little springs, but by leaning towards the one side or the other, you, you turn. That's, that works quite well. Stopping is a little bit of a different story. I stick to it. I play it a little bit safer. I use a cycling path. We have grass on both sides. It's a cycling path. That it's about it's, this specific one. is a specific strip that I use. Where I, and I have to, you have to anticipate. You have to be very situationally aware. Anticipate what other path users, pedestrians or cyclists, even have a few mopeds, what they are going to do, you have to anticipate it. And unfortunately, the other road users often don't appreciate that you do not have brakes. So it, it makes sometimes for very interesting scenarios. But so far, three and a half years, I've not fallen yet. So. Well, that's amazing. Now, you started at, at what, age 59? You... 59, yeah, 59 and a bit. And tell me how it affected your fitness. Like, what changes occurred to your fitness as a result of land paddling? I was amazed. So because of our harsh winters in the last few years, in my first few years, many years, I was so dedicated with skiing, 
in winter, I went north. The Manitobans went south to Mexico. I went north to go and ski. So we, we went out in any temperature, minus 35, no problem. You just layer, triple layers, and I went skiing. But after 15 years, I developed cold sensitivity. So now I appreciate summers even more so. And when I saw this guy three and a half years ago coming on this device, I thought, wow, that's a God-given. I must. And it's not that expensive. It's about 350 US. They always have a sale on it. So because you have to, you stand dead still, you, stand, you remain stationary on this board. You have to propel yourself to reach 20 kilometers is quite a, a workout. So I use, I put it on the one side going the one way. And when I turn around, then I, I switch the, the arms and the polars on the other side. It's an incredible, it's a cardio workout, but especially upper core strength and upper body. So what I did the previous three summers is I would stop going to the gym and just use the land pedal on the bicycle and cycling. So I would alternate, go two to three times land paddling, and then the alternative days I would go cycling. That's a great idea because you were alternating between arms and legs. I used to run, but I did it on last, I did short distances in 2003, I did a half marathon, but after my knees are quite unhappy. So this is another way out because I'm not using my knees at all. You stand dead still. But there are certain rules that one has to attend, adhere to, like anything, to, to do it safe. And there are very good demonstration videos on the website of the company that sells it. And so one just take its little, it's like eating an elephant, you do it bite by bite. It sounds great. I really, I think it's so important as we get into our 60s, 70s, 80s, etc. It's so important to continue to step outside our comfort zones and try new things. And so you've really intrigued me with this land paddling. And I'm sure a lot of the readers of Chicken Soup for the Soul, age is just a number, are being encouraged by the book to try new things. And I'm sure a number of people will try land paddling. So thank you for sharing it with us. Donnie, thanks so much for joining us today and for being a part of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Age is just a number. Now, how can people learn more about you and your books? Do you have a website? My website is, is easy. It's daniebuota.com. So that's D-A-N-I-E-B-O-T-H-A.com. D-A-N-I-E-B-O-T-H-A.com. That's literally my name in the book together.com. Perfect. Well, I'm Amy Newmark. Thanks for listening to the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast today. Keep coming back to hear more stories from this fun new book about life after 60. And if you go to our podcast link, you'll see a button to sign up for this newsletter where you can have stories from this book delivered to you every day and come back for our next episode for some tips about how to make Christmas work for you this year, even though we are doing things a little differently. Danny, thanks so much for joining us and have a great Christmas. Amy, thank you very much. Have a blessed Christmas.